because, you know, even though we're lawyers and the legal knowledge is, is a very key portion of what we do, mm-hmm. you end up realizing that it's also a very small portion of what you do as, as your practice kind of advances. It's, you know, it's understanding people, it's understanding people's motivations, it's having relationships with people in the industry. It's, you know, understanding that this might be the 70th record deal that I've done in the last five years or whatever it is mm-hmm. for the person I'm doing that deal for at this moment, this is the biggest moment of their lives. Right. And having the respect for that, yeah. for that piece and, and giving them the space to have, to have it be the biggest moment of their, of their lives and ask the questions they need to, or, you know, sometimes provide that balance of, okay, I know you really want to do this now, but let's, let's also focus on the long term aspect of it and you know whether whether it takes another week or so let's get it done right you know so it's those it's those counterbalancing perspectives but you know being able to um i guess empathize or respect the experiences of your clients and and realize that that's ultimately you know my job to help them achieve their goals And this is The One Sheet, a music business podcast where each episode we sit down with a music industry expert and get tips and insight on what it takes to make it to the top in their respective area in the biz and a few cool stories along the way. Now, a quick note before we get started. We took a quote-unquote summer vacation, and this is the first episode since then, but this will be the official last episode of The One Sheet podcast. If you haven't listened to the quick farewell message, which I released alongside this, please check it out after the episode. The amount of listeners that have tuned in, as well as the caliber of interviewees we've had the chance to speak to, alongside just the all-around support from the music community, it's, it's really been humbling and touching. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, on to the guest of this episode. I've always wanted to get an entertainment lawyer on the show, especially one that dealt heavily on the music side. So When I was introduced to Miro at the beginning of the summer, being already familiar with him, his practice, and his very impressive client list, I had to jump on the opportunity, and he very kindly obliged. We Skyped in shortly after. There's a lot of information in this, so you may even want to listen to it a couple of times. There's information for artists as well as people working on the business side, also for those looking to get into the industry but not sure what area to pursue. As we go through our conversation, he really builds us a picture of how all of his experiences in the past accumulated to help him get to where he is now. We get his thoughts on the Vancouver music scene versus Toronto's and what his vision is to grow the Vancouver music scene, which is currently where he practices out of. We then get into an overview of kind of what his job actually entails and You'll see that it starts to become clear that in this age of artists becoming more independent and relying more heavily on their core team, with a label being almost more of a service provider, a lawyer is an integral and essential part of building that career, being able to offer experienced insights from all angles. He discusses brand partnerships and how they work, as well as some of the common disputes that he deals with that artists should be aware of. Of course, we talk about what he feels it takes to be a great entertainment lawyer and what he loves about his career. That and much, much more to look forward to ahead. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, 
Miro Obala. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I have been looking forward to this. Before we get started, uh, the legal side of the industry is not something I'm too well-versed in, so I've done my research to prepare for the conversation, but uh, bear with me if I ask some rookie questions. <laughs> You're an entertainment lawyer and a partner at the law firm Taylor Obala Murray Leyland LLP. A lot of professionals in this industry, you know, they typically start out as a musician and then they kind of go into the business side if the music side doesn't work out or or they're not an artist, but they just know they like the industry and they find a place within it after kind of moving around the industry and settling in. But lie, it's a very deliberate path. When did you know that you wanted to be an entertainment lawyer? I think for me, it started probably in my second year of law school. Um, that was where I first took a class in, in entertainment law and I liked it and I thought this is something I could see myself doing. I still didn't really know a lot of what it was actually about or, you know, really any of the day to day kind of realities of it, but it kind of gave me a little bit of a flavor and, you know, I always liked arts and music and that kind of thing. So it, it gave me a sense of, okay, there's a job, there's a job within that industry for someone who was sort of in my career stream going down this idea of I'm going to be a lawyer. Right. right. Um, so that was kind of my initial, that's, I guess, where the seed was first planted. And then and I went and I articled at a downtown um, corporate law firm that also had an entertainment practice. So I did a little bit of entertainment work there, here and there, mm -hmm. while I was in there. And then eventually I left there and joined up with a boutique entertainment firm in 2002 and have been doing entertainment law pretty much full time since then. So what was it about it? What, what do you... What sparked that interest in you? Uh, I think it was the, you know, it was it was the ability to to say, okay, I, I, I'm I really love art and music and film and creation. You know, the idea of, of mm -hmm. creating and creators and people who essentially make something out of nothing, other than you know their imagination and and hard work, and the the ability to work in that field and help, you know, help people in those industries, um, make sure that, you know, the kind of the business arrangement they're getting into are going to be fair for them. Right. Cause a lot of times in this industry, you know, the, the bargaining power isn't exactly, isn't exactly equal. A lot of time people who are focused on creating things aren't necessarily that focused on protecting their interests simply because they don't, that's the, A, that's not the way they're wired and B, they don't have the experience. Right. right. So it was a combination of uh, of those of those things, an mm. industry that that I liked yeah. and seeing, yeah, this is a place where I felt like I could contribute something positive. Did you know any artists at the time or did it kind of mm -hmm. come to you later? A little bit. I mean, I think probably when I was kind of first getting into it, people I knew were probably more on the DJ and right. some DJ artists and that kind of stuff. But yeah, that was, you know, it's it's a relatively small industry especially yeah. here in Canada. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's it's just a function of starting it, getting into it, finding a couple of people that you can work with, and then just kind of plugging away, you know, going to shows, going to conferences, doing this, you know, and after a while, people are like, oh, you're still here. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of once, once you're in the industry for a few years and you're still there, you're like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe this this guy knows what he's doing and yeah. it, it, uh, it, it starts to unfold a little bit easier. But there is, there is definitely that. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's an industry that I think a lot of people want to, in theory, would like to get into. Mm -hmm. But it's, yeah, you just, you just got to keep, you know, plugging away at it until, uh, 
until the opportunity presents itself. Yeah, I find persistence prevails. Yeah. And you just got to keep going. Um, so you realized second year you wanted to go into this, got into the industry. And then in a, about, it was 2006, right, when Chris Taylor split off from Sanderson and he started his own firm, um, which you're now a partner in. Um, yeah. how, how did that come about? Apparently, he, he knew what you were up to, right? And he kind of... Yeah, I mean, I've known Chris for, for a number of years, just again, because it's a small... The music industry is, you know, is relatively self-contained. And then the, the industry of, of entertainment lawyers who do music is even smaller, right? Mm. So I'd, I'd known Chris for a few years, um, kind of casually. You know, we'd, we'd say hi and catch up at, when we'd run into each other at different music conferences. And um, <clears throat> I happened to run into him at an industry Christmas party at the end of 2005. And he started talking about what he was doing and sounded really, really great to me. I'd always, you know, liked what Chris was doing and kind of admired his approach to to practicing. So this opportunity to work with him was one that I thought, yeah, I'm, you know, I don't want to pass this up. And yeah, you know, 11 years later, we're still going. Yeah. Who are some of your first, I guess, major celebrity clients on the music side? From the period I started working with Chris in, in 2006, I mean, kind of right away when I stepped in there and started working with him, you know, at that point he was already working with Nelly Furtado and Avril and Billy Talent and Chaos and various artists like that. So those were some of the first artists that I started working with who were, you know, celebrities in that realm that I started providing legal services for. So I wanted to ask about the entertainment, you had an entertainment business and a nightclub. What what spurred that? How did that come into your career life? Um, I just, you know, when I moved, I moved to Toronto um, at the top of, I think, 19, end of 1999, I moved to Toronto. Where, and, where uh, are you from? I grew up mostly in Calgary. Okay. And then I went to Vancouver for law school, decided to come out to Toronto to work. And, you know, as I started working, you know, being a young guy, it's like making some money and it's, it's nice to go out, you know. So I started, started to go out, um, meet people in the, cl- in the club and party scene. And then, and then through there, I uh, met, met, a, met a couple of guys and, you know, together with them and some investors, right. we started a nightclub called State Theater in 2005, which is where um, the Hawkson is now, or I guess the Hawkson shut down now too. Yeah. Um, yeah, in that in that spot right there, and it, you know, it used to it, ages ago it used to be called Studio Sixty Nine. So it's been through uh, it's been through a lot of incarnation. Yeah. So you know what? That was a lot of fun. Um, and through there and through some of the other stuff, you know, because you know, we would do parties on the side. Yeah. Uh, um, just got to meet a lot of people in you know in, in Toronto in the entertainment industry in Toronto, just generally, you know. And I think that helped me personally in terms of growing funnily enough growing my entertainment business because people would know me from from being out and i would yeah. have conversations like oh i know so and so who needs a lawyer or you know i need a lawyer th- th- that kind of thing yeah no that sounds like it so then that brings you to about 2014 is when you decided to move back out west right yeah what was the decision for that just the company was no. expanding yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd kind of always had this this idea, and I'd talked to Chris about it a few times and our other partners about what would be really interesting is if our firm was sort of a national entertainment boutique firm, because, you know, we, we had our base in Toronto, we had a very strong brand, mm-hmm. and we had, we, we'd have clients from, from all over the place, 
Um, you know, when we had clients that lived in, you know, whether it was Vancouver or Calgary or, you know, Montreal or Halifax or whatever. But for the most part, you know, it's tough to get a lot of a lot of those new up and coming people at the beginning if, you, if you're not on the ground. And you also don't necessarily get a really good sense of the scene someplace if you're if you're not on the ground there. Yeah. And having kind of seen what happened to Toronto, I mean, you know, Toronto as an industry, the music industry in Toronto changed so much from, you know, 2002 when I started, which was like, hey, it's Napster. It's the death of the music industry. We're all going to lose our jobs. And everything's yeah. going to be terrible. To, you know, 2000. 2013, 2014 in Toronto, where Toronto was now this major heavy hitter music city on the global map, right? And you had, you know, we had people calling us from LA, we'd have A&Rs from LA and New York and everything, okay. you know, being like, hey, you know, what's the latest thing? You know, because at that time, you know, we were, we were working with Drake and a couple other people, you know, as they were blowing up out of, out of that scene. So everybody was, was calling us trying to find what's the next thing, what's the next thing. And it felt like, hey, that happened in Toronto, there's no reason that could not happen in Vancouver, right? Or, you know, Montreal, say another city where, you know, these are all cities that, that there, where there's a hop at a town, it just requires, you know, a couple of people to break and some development to happen. Yeah. Um, and I was, you know, I was ready to kind of do a uh, change cities for a little bit, see what, uh, see what that provided. So I decided to move out to Vancouver and set up the office here. And currently we've got two lawyers, myself, another lawyer out here. Um, you know, with this office, and then we've got seven lawyers back in Toronto as well. What do you think the music scene's like in Vancouver? Um, very different than Toronto. I would say it's. I mean, it, it's funny because in some ways, I mean, the, the music industry has been around for a very, very long time mm -hmm. in Vancouver, and has had a lot of successes, you know, over the decades, right? Yeah. Um, but. I think in relation to where the Toronto industry is now, I think the Vancouver one is in a, is in a bit of an infancy in relation to that. And, and the reason I say that is I think the industry in Vancouver is much more fragmented than it is in Toronto. You know, you don't, there's no major labels there. You've got probably three or four independent pillars right. in, in Vancouver. Um, and if, if you're not in one of those pillars, I think as an independent artist or an independent manager, it's a lot harder to find your footing. So it's kind of like um, there's more of a community. It's one big community in Toronto. Is that what you'd say, kind of? Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't, you know, I don't want to say community in the sense that hey, it's a to, to make it seem like Toronto is a lot more, um, you know, what's the right word? word. I don't know if it, it, it's more. I think it's. It's a community, but it's a community driven by business, right? It, yeah, it's, yeah. I think what, what people have understood, because success has come out of Toronto, mm -hmm. people have understood that, hey, if I, if I know the next man and I work with him or the next woman who's doing something, we can work together and create something that's exportable globally and internationally. And people believe that. And I think that's, that drives a lot of collaboration and a lot of work and has allowed opportunities for a lot of independent successes. Right. Whereas I think in Vancouver, I don't know how how much people still believe that because I, I don't think there's been enough examples of that happening and people staying yeah. in Vancouver with that happening. I mean, there's been a lot of success stories coming out of Vancouver on the artist side, but a lot of the time they end up they end up going going elsewhere. Right. So I think until as a city you see that and you see those homegrown success stories that stay, people are, aren't as willing to say, hey. Right. You know, 
they don't have that role model yet yeah 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 like toronto it really took you know drake and the weekend to to come out and say you know we're proud that we're from here yeah um so it's just going to take an artist to make that happen yeah yeah, it just you know it takes the it takes the right artist. It takes infrastructure. I mean, one of the nice things that's happening out here is the Music BC Fund. I think that kind of stuff helps a lot because it, talent is one yeah. uh, factor in the equation. But the other factor in the equation is having the infrastructure from from a business perspective, from a management perspective, all those kind of things right. to be able to properly develop the talent. You know, it's like having you know if I was a world class hurdler, you know, but I lived in a place that didn't have any training facilities. I would need to move, right? Because without the training facilities, I can't reach my full potential. Right. And I think it's it's a very similar thing in music. But the nice thing about it is that those things can grow and develop. I mean, you know, we look at if we look at all all the businesses and all the independent labels and all that kind of thing grown in out in Toronto in the last 10, 15 years. You know, starting from the arts and crafts and the last gangs and the dynalones to you know the new um, the OVOs and the XOs and all of that, right? You've got you've got that, but you know, back in 2002, you could look at Toronto and, you know, you could you could say, hey, you know, there was still all these holes. And, you know, there, at that time, there was there was probably a very similar uh, landscape of different silos as, you know, as there are currently in Vancouver. So I think it's just a matter. It's a matter of time. It's a matter of developing infrastructure. And then ultimately, you need that one artist to kind of, you know, ignite that perfect storm. Right. That's great. So you are part of building that infrastructure. That's part of the goal. I yeah. hope so. Cool. Well, let's kind of get into the job itself a little bit. So um, I'm sure there are a lot of really cool aspects of your job, uh, but you mentioned it yourself, and I am getting creative here. I'm not quoting exactly, but essentially uh, your job is not all about late night calls, bailing celebrities out of jail with pending mm-hmm. DUIs or being like the heartless, ruthless Ari Gold type if he was a lawyer. Um, how do you explain to people what your position actually entails, kind of on a regular basis? I know there's probably not a, a regular day. Um, mm. And then also, what would you say your primary role is in relation to an artist's overall career? I would say that our primary role is to help artists um, in the guidance of their, of their career. Right. Um, cause we often start working with artists at, at early stages, you know, often before they've got a record deal, you know, sometimes before they even have a manager. Um, so, you know, and it's always funny when people ask me, people who aren't in the industry ask me, Hey, you know, who are you working with? The stuff that's keeping me the big often are things that they may not even know about because it hasn't even broken yet. You know, I may be doing a record deal for an artist, but that artist may be unheard of because other than unless you're, you know, a really sort of diehard music fan, you may not know who they are because they haven't had that major label record out yet. Right. So we kind of, you know, I look at it as we guide our clients on the, on the music, on the music artist side. It's different because, you know, we also work with um, businesses as well. You know, we yeah. studios and production companies and, you know, big music publishers and all, all of that kind of stuff. So it's not, even though I think our identity and our brand as a, as a law firm is, is always as an artist-focused law firm, which is true, yeah. we do also have clients in different areas. So the, you know, the, um, I think the hats we wear differ depending yeah. on who, who the client is. But ultimately, it's that. It's as, a, as somebody who counsels their client, helps guide the career or the growth of the business, 
and you know where net when necessary kind of puts on the you know puts on the bad cop hat and you know yeah. gets when they when they need to do you think that's changed from when you started mm, not from when i started because i my entire sort of career in this industry has been in the post digital napster era right. right so what that's meant is that you know as i was starting revenue plunging major labels were slashing budgets and downloading a bunch more stuff to artists mm -hmm. so essentially in my entire career it's been that period of time where artists needed to get more independent and have more control of their own career right. they could be less dependent on hey all i got to think about is making music and this label is going to do everything else for me right yeah. and now what you're seeing is more units of you know artist and manager doing things you know and lawyer or whatever but that artists and their core team kind of doing as much as possible and almost kind of bringing the label as a service provider in some case not even having a label like you know you look at chance the rapper in the, in the states and everything that he's been able to accomplish that way um so you so, say a lawyer is a pretty key player then in an artist's career yeah because it, I mean, like, it seems I, like you wear a lot of hats yeah, I like, I like to think so. I mean, I think, you know what, the nice thing is we see deals from all manners, especially, like I said, because we, we have clients at the table and we do a bunch of different deals. So, you know, where even if you're a manager, you know, unless you've got a roster of 15 successful clients um, as a manager, which is difficult unless you've got a bigger management company, you only see, you're only going to see so many deals because you only have, you know, you only represent so many people mm -hmm. who are only going to have so many opportunities right. on the lawyer side we represent a broader range of clients so we can see a broader range of deals so you know it's like we, we've seen a bunch of american major label u.s deals we've, we've done a you know a ton of canadian major label deals we've done a ton of indie deals we've done a ton of international record deals publishing deals endorsement deals all those kind of things yeah. on the music end you know are all we've seen we've seen them all and sometimes from different angles so it also allows us to, to think about okay well not only do I know what is important to you, my client, I also know what is important to the other side because I've been in the role of being the lawyer on the other side of, on a different transaction. Right. So in terms of it allows us to kind of better navigate and try and figure out, okay, what's the, what's, what's the middle ground where our client is, is going to get what they want, but the other side's still going to be comfortable with, you know, with what they want. And I think ultimately, you know, most of the time, that's where I kind of I, I try and get to in a negotiation because, you know, a everybody's gonna have to need to work together afterwards too, yeah. and b also you know, you know in, in situations when you when you're doing deals unless there's unless there's a really you know a, a big bidding war going on most of, most of the time the balance of power swings to you know to the label side when you're representing the artist so it requires a little bit more finesse than force a lot of times. So what are your what are some of your day to day tasks? Kind of the the main daily tasks. Uh, most of my day is spent on email, right? <laughs> I'd say, unfortunately, okay. um, eats up a huge chunk of my day because you know a lot of it is, you know, getting back to clients, getting back to the other side, following up on agreements. You know, sometimes it's, um, you know, uh, reviewing agreements. Looking, you know, thinking of identifying issues, having conversations about that. Um, I would say definitely emails, number one. Just a lot then, of advising. Is that yeah. People say, I need help with this. And you're like, okay, this is what you should do. 
Yeah. Okay. And then reading, you know, reading the agreements or, or helping negotiate at this stage of my career, it's, it's more helping negotiate the larger points of an agreement. Right. And then working with one of our associates um, who will who will do the, the finer detail of, of reading through the agreement and picking up on the final detail with right. them and the client on the other side to kind of structure, help structure the deal, help structure the bigger deal points in the deal and be able to advise on, OK, you know, the last time something similar, here's some things that popped up, you know, a couple of years from that, from then. So maybe, you know, here's some things you want to, you know, be, be aware of that right. kind of stuff. Um, what are some main points of contention that you find whenever you're going through deals or in, in general that continue to come up? Um, I'm thinking for artists that are listening, that might be what, maybe what should they kind of keep an eye out for that they might try and get taken advantage of? You know, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a plug, but I, I would say just talk to a lawyer right. beforehand. I think a lot of artists want to do stuff themselves. Sometimes, you know, artists, are, artists and or their managers mm-hmm. want to negotiate their you know parts of their deals themselves. Mm-hmm. And unless they've had experience with that stuff before, they're better off just getting getting a lawyer involved as early as possible um, because, you know, we can help negotiate the business deal points because that's often what we do. Right in a manner and, and offer up solutions or options that, um, that you know, that they may, may not have otherwise been aware of. Do you ever get artists coming to you with a contract they've already signed and they need to adjust? Yeah. yeah. And that's always, that's always the hardest part. You know, I always say that I way, I'd way rather be an architect than a janitor because it's much harder <laughs> to oh, yeah. in that situation because right. it's done. I mean, at that point what's done is done. And then you just, you're trying to figure out how to mitigate the damage, you know, versus if somebody had brought you in in the beginning, you could maybe help avoid the damage altogether. Right. So then um, how do you decide whether you want to work with a client or not? Because I'm sure at this point you get more people coming towards you that then you can take on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's a whole bunch of factors, you know, um, the driving factor definitely still uh, when it comes to artists or creators, you know, whether that's mm-hmm. artists, producers, songwriters creators in the film and TV side, any, any kind of creator is how, you know, is the stuff that you're doing, am I excited by it? Is it something where I'm like, can I appreciate what you like, what you're doing? Are you doing something that is artistically interesting, commercially viable, you know, ideally a combination of those two things. But, but those, those are the factors that, that play in because, you know, like I said, in the beginning, we work with artists fairly early on and often in those beginning stages, you know, it, they don't they don't necessarily have huge legal budgets, right? right? So, you know, we we end up, you know, writing off time or or, or doing this here or there. You know, there, there's there's ways to there, there's in the project. Yeah, exactly. But that's that's it. The, the key thing there is I got to believe in the project. You know, so right. that's still I would say the number one thing that drives me. Now, lately, you've been doing brand partnerships with artists. Yeah. Is that is that something you're that that is something you're getting into, right? Yeah, I mean, and that's <laughs> my bio. My my bio is a bit old, um, so I mean, that was something that you know we started seeing really heavily, you know, as Drake started to you know become hugely hugely popular. Um, we started doing more of that work. We done it. We done it before, but that was a lot of you know brands kind of you know different brands wanting to work with him and other other artists that we were representing at the time too. Right. Um, and since then, 
you know, we've we've still seen that um, seen that going forward. Just as brands are are beginning to be more and more involved in the space. So you know, whether that's things like Red Bull, you know, Red Bull's got an entire artist program through their through Red Bull Sound Select and other initiatives. Um, so yeah, that kind of stuff. Could you run me through how? Just how that would be structured, how that would go down. Like rebel, you can use for example. You could just make something up if if it's easier. I mean, it's you know, although those things work out in a matter of ways, right? The simplest way is, hey, I'm doing a tour. You know, um, brand X is going to be a sponsor of my tour. <clears throat> they're going to put up a couple. You know, they're going to put up some money in exchange. They'll have their logos on the stage or whatever it is, right? How, That's how do you find brutal. the brands to partner up? You just kind of come up with ideas. Um, yeah, and in some cases we're coming up with the ideas. In some cases, the brands are already in contact with the managers. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes brands are in contact with agents on the touring side. You know, sometimes it comes from the labels. The, a lot of the major labels now are have divisions um, that are specifically geared towards finding branding opportunities for their artists. Right. So you know, it, it, it's an area that's really grown. I think over the last five or six years. Um, and you know, I mean, because there's whole companies opening up that are doing strictly just musician yep. and brand partnerships. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So that, be... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was saying, so yeah, those, those pathways are now in place. And then, you know, as, as those, as those deals get flushed out, then, you know, where we're acting for, you know, for the artist or, or whatnot, then we're, we're brought in to, to finalize, you know, the, the fine details of the deal, which sometimes end up being. And, you know the deal at, at times yeah you know it's like you know the initial thing ends up being okay this is how much we're going to pay you and you know here are some of the services we want and then everything else we we work with them to kind of finalize and flesh out do you think that's a major source of artists revenue nowadays it can be for the right artists yeah. definitely yeah. you know I, I think once you reach a certain level of artist um it, it can be now, um, I was reading today about Spotify. They settled a class action suit uh, in the U.S. Did you hear about that? The unpaid mechanical royalties. Yeah, I've, I've I heard about. It. I haven't been following it very closely. I mean, I I saw the headline today, but I haven't gotten around to reading the, uh, the settlement. Will, I'll tell you then. So, um, they, they basically they're setting aside a fund worth over forty three point four million dollars, um, yeah. just to compensate the songwriters and publishers. Um, who weren't paid on the mechanical royalties. So the performance royalties were paid. Um, but, mm-hmm. I mean, a company as big as Spotify can be in default of this. So it can really happen anywhere, it seems. Do you do you deal with disputes over royalties often? Yeah, I mean, there. Are, I'm not going to name any names, but there are definitely companies um, who've got a reputation for not paying artists Really? Royalties. So yeah, how can you know. an artist protect themselves? You know, it's it's one of the unfortunate parts of the business, right? Is you know where yeah, and, and sometimes I think that what that leads to is is artists and producers, you know, trying to get as much money up front in advances as they can when they're dealing with certain when they're dealing with certain companies because they don't believe that they're going to be able to you know get a, get any back end, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's I think it's one of the the a lack of a lack of transparency and in some situations. Mm-hmm. So you think it's more transparency, a lack of a action, sincerity or willingness to pay yeah. it with, 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 with some people is one of the things that's, that's a damaging thing in our industry, that's right? I think it's one of the things that stops, 
you know, it still keeps the music industry at times a bit shady, you know, and, and that's not, thankfully that's not, you know, that's not all or, or, or most of the, uh, of, of the people in the business, but there are still, there are still those elements yeah. and, you know, it, it's also what, you know, causes and songwriters to be suspicious, you know, to, and to have an inherent distrust of the business side because it happens, you know, and, and it may happen to them. It may happen to their friends or whatever. So, you know, those stories get passed around. And I think it just it's an impediment to the business functioning as smoothly as it could. And, and you know, the better business functions, the better industry functions, the more it can grow. Yeah. I mean, I guess you're going to have shady players in any business, right? It's just a shame. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, are there any other kind of main disputes or issues that come to you nowadays? Mm, I mean, there's a lot, you know, royalty, um, lack of royalties is one. Uh, manager disputes is, oh, is a big, yeah. you know, I've got my manager. It's not working out anymore. Um, you know, how do we how do we get that to happen? Um, I want out of my record deal. That's, you know, that, that's a, that's a classic one. Is that pot, like, how often can you actually get out of a record deal? <laughs> it all depends on the fact situation. Right. You know, it, yeah, yeah see some, sometimes, uh, sometimes it's possible. Other times it's, it's not possible. Right. You know, it, it really does vary from, from case to case, but at least we you know what we can do is sit down with somebody and say, you know, collect the information and then give them an honest assessment, right? Because until they sit down with a professional, they don't know. They they have no idea of what the realistic options are. Right. And sometimes once you have a sense of what your realistic options are, that puts your mind at ease and then you can at least, if it's like, okay, I can't do anything now, but, you know, the deal does expire in nine months and in, in this, you know, in this period of time, I can do this to protect myself or whatever. Oh. Or I got to make sure that in six months, I remember to send this notice because if I send that notice, then it triggers, you know, something else right. that, that kind of stuff helps. Right? right. So it's not, you know, there's, we, we don't have any kind of magic bullets, but we can, we can at least clear up mysteries for people. Right. Um, you wear a lot of hats. You said yourself, you're a business strategist, a creative advisor, financial planner. You're even a therapist sometimes. <laughs> Do you think it's necessary to have a variety of skills, uh, aside from just your legal knowledge to kind of make it to the quote unquote big leagues in the uh, legal side? Yeah. I mean, I think that's true in any, in any profession, Yeah, you know, in, in anything that you do, the more you're able to bring all parts of yourself mm. into, into what you do, I think the more successful you're going to be, right? Because, you know, even though we're lawyers and the legal knowledge is is a very key portion of what we do, mm -hmm. you end up realizing that it's also a very small portion of what you do as as your practice kind of advances. It's you know, it's understanding people, it's understanding people's motivations, it's having relationships with people in the industry, it's you know, understanding that for you know, even though that you've you know, this might be the 70th record deal that I've done in the last, you know, five years or whatever it is mm -hmm. for the person I'm doing that deal for at this moment, this is the biggest moment of their lives. Right. And having the respect for that, yeah. for that piece and, and giving them the space to have, to have it be the biggest moment of their, of their lives and ask the questions they need to, or, you know, sometimes provide that balance of, okay, I know you really want to do this now, but let's, you know, let, let, let's also focus on the long term 
aspect of it and you know whether whether it takes another week or so let's get it done right you know so it's those it's those counterbalancing perspectives but you know being able to um i guess empathize or respect the experiences of your clients and, and realize that that's you know ultimately your you know my job is to help them achieve their goals uh, what are you most proud of? Um, you know what I'm most proud of, I would say, is the growth of our firm. I think really the development of our of our law firm over you know the ten eleven years that we've you know we've been doing this. Um, the growth in in the lawyers, like just in the size of our firm, yeah. in the nature and the scope of the work we've done. You know we've added a film and television department, even though, you know, we're primarily a music firm. We've got a dedicated film and television department now. We've got, a, you know, this uh, Vancouver office as well. We've got a whole, you know, um, nine or ten lawyers overall, um, which is, you know, when we started, there was four of us, I believe. I can genuinely say that I like everybody that I work with and just everyone's passionate about, about what they're doing and having seeing that grow is probably the thing that I'm most proud of because you know one of the one of the downsides I think of being of being a lawyer um in terms of the nature of the work we do is that it's transactional work so you rarely you know I rarely see a project from beginning to end you know it's like I do a I do a record deal or I do a publishing deal or I do a side artist deal or producer deal but that's it you know it's not that I, I do one piece of a larger of a larger puzzle right so in terms of that satisfaction of of being able to see a, a bigger, the bigger picture grow is definitely from, you know, kind of seeing what we've accomplished as a law firm. That's, that is something to be proud of. Yeah. yeah. Um, what advice would you have to give, um, two things, maybe artists that are just starting out in the business. And so that's part mm -hmm. one. And then part two, anyone who maybe is interested in becoming an entertainment lawyer themselves someday. So we'll start with the artist, I guess. Okay. So with artists, I mean, I think, you know, more than ever, you got to be somewhat self-reliant, right? You know, you got to build your own team. It doesn't mean you have to do everything as an individual, but you and your team need to be able to do a whole bunch of things, right? And that's, you know, that's everything from creating the actual thing that you're making to like, you know, social media and doing that kind of stuff. And like, you know, maybe even playing tours and it. Much more of that needs to come, needs needs to be in-house, mm -hmm. right? So from a business perspective, that would be my my advice. From a creative perspective, it's, you know, find your lane. You know, I think every, it's much harder when you're trying to do something that somebody else is already doing. Because then why the hell would they listen to you? Right. right? Um, it can be built on or based on something somebody else is doing. But, you know, you should be able to have your unique voice and get a sense of what what makes you unique. What is it about what you're doing that's special and different that's going to cause people to care? Right. I listened to a band once and they were catchy. They, I won't say who they reminded me of because they declared themselves as well as uh, similar to this huh? massive, massive, huge band that everyone knows. And I was like, wow, yeah, they are kind of like them. But then at the same time, they're being compared to them and yeah. they're, they're good. But when you're comparing them to this, you know, worldwide success, they're not going to make the cut. So yeah, you're right. Yeah. You got yes. to find, find something that makes you unique. Yeah, and then on, um, on the, uh, on the lawyer side, yeah, yeah. Can we, are we jumping? The, yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. So that side of it, it's like, 
you know, I think a lot of people want to be in this industry or have a sense of like, hey, I want to do this. I want to be in this industry because like it's sexy, it's glamorous. I'm going to ride around in private jets with my clients and drink champagne and, you know, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I mean, that stuff rarely happens. I still haven't, still haven't been on the private jet with the champagne. Hopefully. Yeah, I'm hopefully still waiting for that too. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think it's, if you really want to do it, you know, do it for the right reasons. And then you just got to do it. You know, it's one of those, it's one of those areas of law where your practice is really as much as you make it. You know, it's, it's much harder than say, you know, personal injury litigation or corporal law or something where you can just go work for a firm and then just work in the cocoon of that firm and never have to be responsible for the development of your own practice. It's, this is very much an area of the law, you know, where, you need, you need to develop your own practice. And even for us and our associates, I mean, you know, we, we give them work, but we always stress the importance of being responsible for building your own practice. Right. Getting out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Getting yourself known within the industry as well. Yeah. Um, I'll finish off with your top two favorite music memories ever. So one as a consumer of music. So it can be, you know, it could be like, when you were a kid and your first music memory or just the first one that comes to mind and then as an industry professional. All right. Um, so I would say my two favorite music memories as a, as a consumer. Oh God, that's so hard. <laughs> um, I'm going to do, do three. Okay. I'm going to do three consumer. Okay. Uh, my first concert ever as a kid, I was, I think eight or nine years old. I went, um, weirdly with my parents, of all people, uh, <laughs> to see Tina Turner on, the private dan on her private dancer tour. It was like 83 or something. Oh, cool. um, and that was just like, yeah, that was like the first concert I ever went to. And it was like a crazy, crazy show because, I mean, she put on an amazing show. And it was just like, it was the first time I remember just like the impact of music. You know, I was just like, whoa, like this is crazy, right? You know, there's 20, 30,000 people here. Everybody's like losing their minds. And it was just this great show. So I think that was that was cool. that was a big one. Um, and I want now now I'm trying now I've got four. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first thing I ever bought with my own money was Princess Purple Rain. Oh, that's a good one. And I think that's something that you know I'm going to be an old man now and be like I think one of the things that is unfortunate now about the way we have music available to us is that you no longer really have the opportunity to just by virtue of lack of options to just have to like consume an entire album mm. over and over and over and over and over again. Cause you, you know, you're a kid and you only can afford to buy like two or three albums. Yeah. Right. So it's like, you got these albums and you just like immerse yourself in them and yeah. discover kind of every little nuance, like every little, you know, the, the bridge or this or the fill here or the whatever, of each of each track to the point where they become almost like second nature to you. Yeah. And I think that's something that's lost. I, I don't know whether kids still have that now. You know, I know for me as an adult now, you know, I'll listen to something, even if it's something I like, I, I, you know, listen to it a, a few times, but because there's so much stuff out there that's just readily accessible on my Spotify, it's, it's harder to just really dive into something as deeply. Yeah. I'm trying to think, I, I can't remember the last time I listened to a full album back to back. But when I was younger, I used to do it all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Let's do it. Let's do it again. You know. Over and over. And then I probably the third one was my first festival experience, which was uh, Lollapalooza. 
actually here in Vancouver. Um, and that was, that was again, just amazing. Just yeah. the different, the different forms of music and just, you know, all that coming together. And, um, and then the fourth one kind of leads into, it was a consumer one, but it, it ties into what, what my favorite industry ones are. And so that the, my fourth memorable kind of consumer one was seeing MIA perform, I think at the Drake round, I think it was her second ever show or something like oh. that. You know? So what was it about and, it? Hey, what was it about it? Just that, just when you see an artist that you're like, that person's amazing. It's, it's not like they're not fully developed yet, but they, but they, they still have that quality, that amazing, whatever that quality is. Yeah. yeah. And rec kind of recognizing that. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, you know, most of my favorite memories on the industry side is that, you know, it's sitting and hearing, you know, hearing something. Uh, one of our clients is a, is a producer named circuit, um, yeah. who Sorry, works on Sorry? Work with Britney and Slow Rider. Yeah, Katy Perry and Nicki Minaj and The Weeknd and, and everybody. And I remember, you know, in 2007, um, sitting in my office and Chris was playing some music and it was like nothing I'd ever heard before. And I was like, going to his office, I'm like, what is this? And he was like, oh, you know, it's this, uh, it's this band that I'm, I think I'm going to sign to Last Gang. And I was like, they're crazy. You know, that, that production's insane. And it was, that was, you know, Circuit and a couple, you know, a couple other uh, people at the time, um, his then partner, Adrian, and, uh, singer PJ, who formed this, who formed this, uh, band. But just that it's, it's one of the things that I, I still really cherish about being in this industry is being, you know, knowing that, you know, when, when you're one of the first, say, you know, half a dozen to a dozen people on the planet to hear something that really stands out and then falling kind of in love with it or, or and, and then, you know, seeing it develop over the years and seeing it get some, somewhere, you know, those are, that's the, that, that's where sort of the magic is, you know? Yeah. No, I've, I've been there too. When you hear, I know exactly what you mean. You hear something and you're like, what is that? And then you're like, that's going to blow up. And then you just watch it over the next year. Just yeah. skyrocket. Yeah. That's a really cool feeling. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I think that's a great way to end it. Um, if anyone is ever looking for a lawyer, how do you prefer to be reached out to? Um, email is me. Yeah. So our website. Sorry, you're breaking up. What's the website? Oh, I said our, our website is www.tomllawyers.com. So two L's. Okay. And my email is Miro, M-I-R-O, at tomllawyers.com. So that's, that's the best way to get at me. Right. Okay. Thank you so much. This has been uh, very yeah, educational. I mean, yeah. I, I remember when we met at Juno's and I was like, yes, we, I got to get you on. <laughs> Great. All right. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. That's it for this episode. And that's all for the One Sheet podcast as we know it. Again, if you haven't tuned into the farewell message that I posted alongside this episode, please check it out quickly. Thank you again for all of your support. I hope to see you around. If you have any questions you ever want to reach out, contact me at theonesheetpodcast at gmail.com. This is Dervla Trainer, and I love you all. Farewell for now. <laughs>